Hey guys, John Pauly here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Saturday, October 2nd, and this is the weekly market update. As you can see, I've added a little box down here. You can see me now. I actually have my new logo that I had made for Actionable Intelligence Alert. Somebody told me that uh, it's better to connect a face to the video, so we'll see how that goes. So for the disclaimer, anything that you see or hear on this video or that you hear on the podcast is not to be taken as investment advice. I'm not a financial advisor. I am not your personal uh, accountant. I'm just a guy on the internet. Please take all of this under consideration and do your own due diligence. It's your money. It's your responsibility. Okay, so first thing I wanted to talk about was the actionable intelligence alert newsletter performance. I've put up the uh, first three quarters. I uh, kind of got cut off there on the left, but the numbers, the percentage percentages on the in the middle, if you will, uh, are the returns for the AI actionable intelligence alert newsletter. And the returns on the right, the percentages are the S&P 500. So I'm not, that's just the benchmark I'm using because it's a standard, you know, stock market ben benchmark. I, I, I just picked it because that's typical. Um, but you can see that uh, in Q3, which just finished at the end of September, uh, we were up 17.04% and the S&P 500 was down 0.29% or 0.29%, less than a quarter percent. Uh, overall for the year, we are up uh, about 52% and the S&P is up about 14.5%. And so this is a reflection of, I want to spend a little time on this because some people are curious about the newsletter. They want to know what's going on. Some people are subscribers. I feel like these are pretty good returns. Uh, actually, we were up quite a bit more than this, but near the end of the quarter, uh, the energy stocks kind of pulled back, uranium pulled back, uh, which is going to do so, uh, as we've talked about. And so uh, we finished still up 17%. So we're we're doing pretty good this year. Um, and I've already seen in the last couple of days, we've seen a lot of strengthening in a lot of the junior oil stocks. Now, the oil part of the portfolio is starting to come alive. Uh, I'm adding another very highly speculative oil name to the portfolio this month in the October issue, which will be coming out this weekend, or probably tomorrow or Monday. And it, this this is kind of, you know, just what we expected would happen. You know, we, we are in the sweet spot of the commodity bull market. It's beginning. We've talked about it. We're starting to reap the rewards. I would say there's been a few, I wouldn't say disappointments, but laggards in the portfolio. And I'll just point them out. I'm not going to give you the names, but I will talk about the industries. We've got some tanker stocks in there, um, but those they're starting to come alive now. And we, we thought that would happen, right? As oil demand returned, the volumes of oil that need to be shipped will increase. And that would lead to uh, more activity in that market. I mean, the entire rest of the shipping market is going nuts. And at some point that was going to make its way down to tankers as the demand for oil uh, returned to normal and will actually begin increasing as we get into next year. In addition, we have some oil service stocks in there. They're lagging also, right? The 
they will turn last uh, as the cash flows increase at the producers uh, and the prices stay sustained at these higher levels for some period of time. At some point, the executives at these oil companies uh, will begin recycling cash into new exploration and new development. And that will necessarily begin the process of filtering down to the service stocks. So there's still an opportunity there in, the, in, in those stocks, I think, because uh, offshore drillers, most of them have, have went through bankruptcy. The, the industry has been rationalized and they've shed a lot of older rigs and a lot of debt. Uh, I also have, uh, you know, like I said, uh, tankers. I'm, I'm bullish on those going forward. It's the last shipping sector that really hasn't responded. It's been a long time. Uh, we've been waiting, but uh, those have been some of the laggards in the portfolio. Obviously, the uranium stocks have been the outstanding performers in the portfolio. Uh, we've got some that are up four or five, six hundred percent. And uh, we're just at the start of this uh, bull market. You know, we had the initial run up in uranium the last few weeks. It's cooled off. We thought that would happen, but by no means is the uranium bull market over with. So if you are interested in this, uh, if you're interested in these type of companies that we follow, that we have been investing that have been led to these type of returns, then um, it's not just this either. We have other companies that are undervalued that aren't necessarily commodity companies. Uh, I'm a big believer in a rotation to emerging markets over the next decade. We have several companies that uh, are extremely undervalued that you can buy um, the assets for less than a, well below a dollar and uh, in growing areas around the world and these particular vehicles that we have in the portfolio I think stand to benefit from the uh, rotation that's uh, going to happen I believe from uh, U.S. markets and developed markets to the emerging, emerging markets over the next few years. All right. So we're going to continue to keep talking about energy because it's in the news. Am I getting a little bit nervous that everybody's talking about it now? Not necessarily because it's kind of an echo chamber right on Twitter. You got to kind of, you know, if you follow me on Twitter, if you follow some of the people I follow, we've been way ahead of this trend. We predicted this would happen, thought this would happen for the various reasons I'm not going to go into again. So I'm just reporting the news. I'm reporting what's going on. So uh, title of this slide is All Hands on Deck. Why? China orders top energy firms to secure supplies at all costs. This is uh, from a Bloomberg uh, piece. China's central government officials ordered the country's top state-owned energy companies to secure supplies for this winter at all costs, according to the people familiar with the matter. That's at all costs. The order came directly from Vice Premier Han Zhang, who supervises the nation's energy sector and industrial production and was delivered during an emergency meeting earlier this week with officials from Beijing's state-owned assets regulator and economic planning agency, the people said, asking not to be named discussing a private matter. Blackouts won't be tolerated, the people said. The emergency meeting underscores the critical situation in China. A severe energy shortage crisis has gripped the country and several regions have had to curtail power to its industrial sector and some residential areas have even faced sudden blackouts. And a sign of how worried Chinese officials are, Premier Li Qingkang has vowed that every effort will be taken to maintain economic growth. China will ensure the needs of basic livelihoods are met and will keep industrial and supply chains stable. 
Lee was cited as saying by China National Radio during a meeting with foreign diplomats Thursday. I actually saw an article, I didn't put it into the slide deck, but I saw another article that they are even burning met coal in their electric uh, utility furnaces now. Um, this is real, folks. This is what's happening. This is necessarily a confluence of events that has come together to create the next energy crisis. And it's not just in China. Um, as I will show in uh, subsequent slides, this phenomenon is happening all over the world. So it's not, you know, a one-off. So here's a uh, chart from Bloomberg. Here is the uh, power shortages, curbed power use. More than half of China's mainland provinces are limiting electricity use. Um, so I think a couple of first order events and second order events. You know, China uh, has a pact with its people. The, pe the Communist Party of China has this pact that they've made with the people. You will give us ultimate power and we will guarantee you a real and ever-increasing standard of living and you will get wealthier and you will be happier and uh so the chinese government communist party uh has this bargain they've made with the people they have to maintain so you know having people freeze in the dark or having your electricity go out um is not part of the bargain and it's that's why you're seeing that these things will be done at all costs as they said so you know does that mean that things are going to get exacerbated? Probably. Uh, we haven't even got into winter yet, folks. So what's really going on? Um, I guess, you know, we'll see. But you have half of China's mainland provinces are limiting electricity use. So you see the various sectors. So what's a second or third order effect? Well, it's not currently maybe actionable today, but, you know, they already have a multitude of nuclear reactors under construction. And I think that uh, if this ends up being like I think it will uh, this winter and causes the problems that it could possibly cause, I think this will exacerbate or at least light a fire even further under the Chinese leadership to really build out their uh, nuclear fleet. And uh, we're seeing more and more news now, not just in China, but all over the world about how nuclear has to be part of the solution, especially as it relates to climate change and net zero. And I'm gonna have another discussion at the end of this, a little bit more of an editorial of what it's really gonna to take to get this under control and why I think a lot of people aren't paying attention to what I think might be uh, a possible outcome to all of this uh, discussion. So as I said, it's not just in China, here's uh, India. Uh, I, there was a couple articles, I just pulled this chart uh, specific to India's coal stocks. India coal stocks plunging. Coal stockpiles at power plants are the lowest nearly four years in India. So uh, you have Chinese issues in China. Now you have evidently issues in India. And this is as economies are coming back and increasing from the coronavirus shutdowns, right? And so, uh, and like I said, we haven't even got into the winter yet. And, uh, you know, this, I think, the spikes that we're seeing, we're seeing record highs in coal prices, record highs in electricity prices in Europe. These aren't just, you know, these spikes are continuing. They're not just, they didn't just roll off after one week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something to watch. I mean, a lot of our companies are performing very well. I mean, if you're, like I said before, if you have an operating coal mine that can supply coal, you're in the cuckoo bird seat. You are able to uh, sell to the highest bidder. 
it's like I said, here we are in Germany now. German power plants, it should be plant, not plants, shuts down due, uh, due to lack of coal. German coal-fired power plant forced to shut down this week after it ran out of coal earlier this week. Quote, we are short of hard coal, unquote. A spokesman for utility, I don't know what the um, my German uh, readers or listeners can tell me if this is uh, accurate or not, but this is what we're seeing, right? A German power plant just ran out of coal in latest energy shock. Uh, you know, again, as I said, ad nauseum for two or three years since I've had this channel, you're not going to power uh, a technological industrial society with uh, intermittent renewables, or as I call them, rebuildables. And now it's coming home to roost. What I thought was funny is I was watching one of the MPs from in Austria, because I think in Austria they passed legislation that regardless, they are not going to go nuclear. They are refusing to do it. They will not do it in the face of uh, what they're seeing. So I think what's going to happen uh, if these prices go where I think they might go, if some of the political, you know, people will not stand for these energy prices doubling and tripling and affecting their lives and affecting industry, affecting their jobs, uh, this will become a serious matter. I recall during the energy crisis in the 70s, that was one of the main reasons the Carter regime uh, was a one-term presidency because they completely, they got caught in the middle of an energy crisis. They inherited, I mean, it started during the Arab oil embargo in the early 70s, but was exacerbated and the knock-on effects continued through the Carter administration, and the dude was one of the worst presidents, acknowledged as one of the worst presidencies of all time. And so you will see economic, uh, these economic deprivations, if you will, lead to political change, in my view, if they are sustained. I mean, maybe this is just transitory, maybe this gets fixed, in the next month or so, and we don't have these issues, and it was just a one-off, but I suspect that the, that is not the case. These problems were created over many years. The lack of investment uh, into uh, the extractive industries, which is now coming home to roost, and uh, like I said, it won't be fixed in a month or two, in my view. And so here's a, here's a poll, right? Uh, UK consumers more concerned about price spikes than renewables investment. So thinking about the next 10 or 20 years, how concerned, if at all, are you about, and then they ask these questions, not investing fast enough in alternative energy sources. You can see the, uh, let's go down here. Um, steep rises in energy prices in the future. This is what they're mostly concerned with. Here's your very concerned and fairly concerned. Um, so I would suggest to you that what's going to probably happen as these prices and energy go up, um, people are not, they will focus on this and then it will become obvious that um, the bill of goods they were sold by politicians for this build back better green initiative uh, were folly and the political climate will change. And I suggest to you that uh this will you know, this is the original like first interview i did with malcolm rawlingson like two two and a half years ago and we talked about you know what would it take to get people to wake up from this folly the same thing i had with um the the uh former pr professor of engineering from cambridge university i forget his name now it was the same answer he had it's going to take very high energy costs to affect people personally and then they'll start paying attention and then you'll see the change 
Now, you know, I, if I could wave my hands and make everything, you know, no externalities, we could have all the power we wanted all the time we, at the snap of a finger with no external cost, no pollution, then I would do that. But that's not reality. And I would suggest to you that, uh, like I will talk about the last slide during the editorial phase of this uh, presentation, uh, we're trying to pursue things that are diametrically opposed. And that is having a modern lifestyle for uh, energy intensive lifestyle for 7 billion people on a planet that doesn't have necessarily possibly have the resources to, to allow for it. So our man, Eric Nuttall, I'll put a uh, link to these articles. There's a couple articles that I'll be linking to this week. This is one of them. Uh, Eric Nuttall, uh, Nine Point Partners, Energy Fund in Canada, what I call during the depths of the energy depression was the last of the Mohicans, didn't close his shop, talked about uh, the deficiency in investment, that oil would come back, that we would have an oil shock, and now it's coming to pass. Uh, I will give a link to the article, one of my favorite uh, analysts to listen to. So what does it say? Um, what does he say in the article? Here's some excerpts. Stuck in an apathetic coma resulting from too many years of poor stock price performance, energy ignorance, and environmental, social, and governance pressure, generalist investors continue to ignore the generational opportunity right before their eyes. He's talking about in oil stocks. What will it take for generalists to come back to a sector wild, widely abandoned as the sector gears up for a re-rating in valuations closer to historical levels that likely could result in well over 100% upside for energy stocks? And I would suggest in certain stocks, it'll be much more than that. At $70 a barrel oil of a basket of 24 energy stocks that I model, the average company could pay a 17% dividend using only 50% of its free cash flow while allowing for further meaningful deleveraging. Even crazier, the average company using the current oil price could effectively privatize and become debt-free with just 4.9 years of ca free cash flow, plus offer plenty of upside given that zero value has been described to its long-term assets due to, quote, stranded asset risk, unquote. Isn't that a massive opportunity? Well, yes, it is. I mean, but the problem is, is that the cash flows won't last. We will have an oil spike, price spike, and then we will either have demand destruction, an economic uh, crisis caused by high energy prices, or a, and or I should say a combination of all three of these and increased exploration and development. And the, this is cyclical, right? These things are cyclical. So it's not like, you know, somebody wrote in the comments of the day, they listed all the reasons why you shouldn't buy oil stocks over 10 or 15 years. They, we don't hold these things for 10 or 15 years. They're burning matches, okay? We're gonna ride this cash flow, um, this cash flow wave that's increasing. And we're looking at anywhere from 12 to 18 months and this is thing's gonna be over, right? Or maybe less, I don't know. Uh, we'll be looking, you know, when oil's 100, 120, if it gets to 140, who knows? Some people are talking all-time highs, inflation adjusted, that puts you close to $200 a barrel. If something like that happens, you don't buy and hold these things uh, and think literally. Um, you know, demand destruction will happen at $10 a gallon gasoline, right? Uh, demand um, alternatives will come around. There'll be ex a more capital pouring in to develop new resources. Uh, price high prices will fix the high prices. So this is a limited 
opportunity. You have to take advantage. And there's still time. These things are still marked down. The valuations are still compelling for many of these companies. And, you know, this is what he's saying here is an exercise in, you know, in estimating, you know, if this happened, this would happen. But we know that cash flows are not going to stay, you know, for five years like that. But the deleveraging is happening. The buybacks are happening. The dividend increases are happening. The share prices are now breaking out. I have several stocks that I have in the portfolio or that I follow outside the portfolio that are uh, energy stocks, and they are responding. And the one thing that I really do want to emphasize that he says here, we don't need the oil price really to go higher. At the current oil price, these companies are thrown off cash like you wouldn't believe, okay? And I think that people are starting to come around to that realization. They're understanding that, the generalist investor, if you will. You're underperforming. I just showed you the results for the newsletter. And we have several, you know, we probably got about 20, 25% of the stocks that are not performing yet, okay? Uh, they're just not in their part of the cycle. Uh, but yet we're still killing the S&P. So if I'm a fund manager and I'm, I'm you know, an S&P, you know, I'm buying all the big main companies that are in the S&P 500, I'm underperforming energy drastically. I mean, we're up 17% for the quarter. At one point, uh, with two weeks left in the quarter, we were up 35% in the quarter. And the uh, S&P is at like basically no return at zero return or slightly slight loss. You're not gonna be sticking around as a fund manager. You're going to be buying energy stocks this quarter. You want to play catch up. And so the money will come back and we're coming from such a lower base because of the, as he says here in the article, the um, energy ignorance, environmental, gov social and governance pressures uh, they general investors have ignored the opportunity right before their eyes. Well, that is going to change, in my view, this quarter and probably the first quarter of 2022. So you haven't missed the boat on these stocks. We've had some tremendous performers. I mean, natural gas. Um, we've talked about this as part of the public portfolio and aping on to Josh Young's, uh, you know, uh, recommendation on on Sandridge. We've done well there, as many have that follow him on Twitter. Uh, so uh, Athabasca Oil, I put that out as a free pick. That's went from about, you know, I think I talked about it when it was under 20 cents. It's closing in on a dollar a share. So that's a four or five bagger. So that's what's out there. And we still, those things are still undervalued based on the potential cash flows that are coming down the pipe. I think when you see the earnings come out from the third quarter as we go further into the fourth quarter and analysts start modeling the cash flows, then I think that you're going to see an upgrade in the energy sector. Um, it'll probably be slow at first. It'll probably still be, well, this is a temporary phenomenon, whatever, but that cash is going to go in there. And we've already seen um, we've already seen money managers that have been interviewed saying that they are moving back into the sector. They have no choice or they'll be out of a job. It's that simple. You can't just keep going for quarter after quarter and underperforming because you're not in the top performing sector in the S&P. It's, it's just not going to work. So Japan had a recent election and the ruling party, uh, which is the Liberal Democratic Party, selected a, they're going to select a new prime minister this uh, Kashida guy. And what I wanted to point out here is that uh, he has a priority of restarting existing nuclear reactors as his immediate priority. Um, why? Because as we've talked about before, 
Japan is a landlocked country. It virtually has zero resources, especially energy. They import all of their energy. And so when they shut the re their nuclear industry down after Fukushima and re went through this big, long recertification process and slowly have started reactors up, um, now they're in a situation where they're having to import all this LNG and coal and they're, they're having to import it at record rates. I mean, the price of LNG, liquefied natural gas, um, is at levels that's probably around an equivalent of oil of 180 or $200 a barrel. Let me say that again. The energy equivalent of LNG currently being imported into these places in uh, Japan and some places in Europe is the equivalent of $200 a barrel oil. And I just told you in the first slide that the Chinese have said they don't care what it costs. They are going to pay whatever they have to. They are not going to have energy uh, shortages in China. That's what they have told the people. And they've got the resources to go out and pay whatever they got to pay. And so, you know, you don't want to be, uh, you don't want to be the, you don't want to be the short man, the, the short stick there, right? The short straw. And, uh, you know, uh, we could really see a really big price increase uh, over the next, uh, you know, couple quarters. This could really get crazy. So longer term, you know, this is, this is turning into not, what I want to do, it's what I have to do. It's necessity is going to start dictating this. And if people that are in power in Europe, in Germany, or these other places, um, I think that the people, the people's tolerance for just saying no to nuclear in the face of deindustrialization and higher costs, um, and possibly even, you're going to see the stories, it's possible. If there are energy shortages this winter and people die, they, that gets played up in the media, and it, as it should. And then the calls will be there. People, people slowly over time will, I believe, will change their view. And as I've said before, you know, if you are a serious proponent of climate change, if you believe that CO2 is the major cause of climate change, and then you're on top of that anti-nuclear, then you're not a serious person. You really need to reconsider your thought process or your critical thinking skills. I don't see how you can do that. I don't know how you can reconcile that. Unless, and I'll, like I said, I'll get into that in the last slide, unless you have another view, which many people do. And that is, we need to change the way we live. So this is the great rotation, if you will. This is what we saw before. This is starting to happen. What is this? This is stocks versus commodities. This is the S&P 500 versus the CRB, and what are we seeing? We're seeing, you know, when the S&P is outperforming commodities, this is what you see, and you've seen that the S&P has outperformed uh, commodities over the last three, four years, but look what's happening. Commodities are starting to outperform, and look at this breakdown here, okay? Look at this, um, where, where the S&P is drastically underperforming commodities. This is what we said would happen. Now we're gonna see, I think it's, it's going to take a while, right? It takes a while for the mindset. It takes a while for the underperformance to, to settle in and for a mindset change. But we are starting, we are starting to see even with this chart. Now, this is, this is, this is a, you know, this is a breakdown through something that held before support that held. This is breaking down now. And this means commodities are outperforming stocks. And this is what we said would happen. This is what we thought would happen. And now it's starting to happen. And so um, these kind of moves are not 
like one-offs. These aren't things that just play out in a month or two. These are typically long duration events that take place over long periods of time, i.e. years. Why? Because the investment cycle, the ability to uh, bring new capacity online in extractive industries is not something you can code up over the weekend with a couple of guys in India. It takes years to bring on. Uh, you you got to go out and find the people that are not working in the industry anymore. You have to uh, get permits. We've went over this before. It takes a long time. Now, it will have if sufficient capital comes in, I guarantee you it will happen, but it will not happen in a month or two. So this, in my mind, is, is a very positive trend that has uh, broken out, if you will. And um, I can make another chart with stock charts and show the reverse. So it shows commodities versus stocks, and it'll probably show the same thing. And I'll probably do that as an exercise. I just pulled this off Twitter because it, because it, um, it's it struck me as pretty obvious, but I could I could make the same charts up in stock charts, and I probably will, and start tracking those. But this is this is phenomenal for us guys. This this is a long term trend change if it holds, and if it does, and I suspect it will. This is why I have been saying that being positioned in the resource market could be you know generational type wealth. You know, we've talked about uranium adding one or two zeros to your net worth possibly. That's happening now. We're seeing, you know, the unexpected rally in, in you know, gas is, you know, I think touched $6 in MCF in the US again. They still trade to 550 something, 560 in MCF. This is unheard of in recent history for this time of the year, which is considered the shoulder season uh, as, the, as the time between the cooling season in the summer and the heating season in the winter. So, you know, a lot of that gas is going to start finding, you have record LNG exports going into these world markets where uh, any gas cargo is being bid up. And I mean, we're just seeing, this is really kind of fun for me. This is kind of what I've been waiting for. And uh, this, a lot of this news has just been, you know, watching what's happening, starting to gel has been very exciting. Now, I will tell you another thing. This is like a giant meteor. Uh, maybe I should make a meme. Maybe I'll put that as the uh, as the thing here. You know, Earth, you know, showing this asteroid hurtling towards Earth with the Earth being, you know, the world's uh, economies and stock markets, and then this energy crisis hurtling towards it. It's just going to explode this thing. You know, people have asked, what would be the catalyst for a uh, downturn in the markets, in the stock markets and equity markets, overvalued equity markets. You know, the Federal Reserve typically in, in prior times, you know, after they overstimulated the market and inflation got going, they would just raise rates, you know, and then the, that would curtail economic activity that would make inflation go down. And obviously you would typically have a bear market during that time. But they don't have that option now to raise rates. So I'm suggesting to you that energy costs will be the regulator, will be the governor on the engine, if you will. And I think that uh, as energy prices uh, get out of control, uh, they will act as a uh, retardant to uh, these very high stock markets. And this is a perfect example we're starting to see right now uh, if this does in fact hold. This could... Uh, this could be something else. So I want to talk about gold stocks. This is a really busy chart, but I, again, I saw this on Twitter. It really struck my uh, struck me. What you're looking at up here is basically these are the percentage of gold stocks that are trading above their 200-day moving average. 
you know, the 200 day moving average is kind of in technical analysis terms. If you're trading below that, that's usually not a good sign. That means you're probably in, in a decline. Um, the stocks are very weak. Uh, they're, they're out of favor, uh, this type of situation. And we have seen this happen before in the circled purple areas in the past, in the last couple of years. And when we have seen that, we've seen a route. This is the GDX. It's the uh, ETF for your very larger type gold stocks. And when we have seen uh, situations where gold stocks uh, have got down to basically zero, zero, that means no gold stocks trading above their 200-day moving average. That means they're all in downtrends. They're all you know, being puked out. This has usually been a, a blowout in negative sediment. It's been a buying opportunity. Um, that's been another laggard in the portfolio. We've got a couple gold stocks there. They're not doing well, but you know, this is the dichotomy you see in the gold market, right? In a lot of the gold stocks, you have record cash flows coming out of these gold companies. You have gold trading 1700, 1750, 1770, somewhere in that range between 1700 and 1765, 70, something like that. And you know the all-in sustaining cost for many of these mines is a thousand or eleven hundred dollars an ounce. They have tremendous margins right now, and they've just been spewing out cash. There's been a lot of, um, shall we say, uh, we haven't seen a lot of mistakes like they've made in the past, which is going out and spending a lot of money. Uh, what they're doing is they are you know taking care of shareholders, and they're cash flows are exploding. And yet that's not being recognized by the market either. And I would suggest to you that at some point it will be. Uh, um, and this is one part of the resource market that uh, no one's talking about, excuse me. I can pretty much guarantee that if we get due to a full-blown re um, resource bull market, that gold stocks will perform. They're tremendously undervalued now. And like I said, I am a person that likes to do pattern recognition. And when I see this type of sediment blown out, I mean, this is basically zero stocks trading above their 200-day moving average, zero gold stocks. That uh, tells me that I need to take a look at these. So um, these are the kind of things I look for. Wow, this is really shook, you know, shocked me. I didn't realize they were this blown out. I mean, they are. it's like no one wants to own these. I'm like the only me and like two or three gold bugs still own a few gold stocks. So this is an opportunity in my view. And you might want to take a look at uh, uh, some gold stocks that uh, I, I think I think we may be at a bottom. So this is an article that was in The Guardian and this I'm not. I don't agree with the sentiment of this article. I don't agree with the conclusions in the article, but I get it. And I think this has, this shouldn't be dismissed outright because I think this is where a lot of governments will be heading if we get into this energy crisis. What am I talking about? There's no such thing as green growth. And I will put a link to the article. And this is kind of like the headline. It is simply not possible to carry on at the current level of economic activity without destroying the environment. This is very important because I think this may be one of the things that policymakers are going to be pushing for. 
um, that this is the next step in the control apparatus of the government. And I don't want to get too much into conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But this was, you know, this was a major editorial in The Guardian. And there are a lot of people that believe this, you know, 7 billion people in the, on, in, on the earth, and most of them um, do not enjoy the standard of living that you enjoy in a lot of these Western countries. They want to enjoy it. It's going to be difficult for their energy usage to increase to ours. We can't have... I don't see how you, I, I did an exercise one time where I took the amount of people in China and India, and I've kind of assumed the per capita oil consumption that you currently see like in South Korea or Japan. I mean, I'm not going to use the U.S. because the U.S. is a car intensive culture. We do a lot of driving here. People commute. That's not necessarily what you see in a lot of European countries or a lot of Asian countries. Um Things are not structured that way, where you have, you know, all these people living in suburbs and driving in, in these SUVs to their work in the downtown. Um, a lot of people take mass transit and trains. And I mean, where I see in Russia and Ukraine, a lot of people don't even own cars because you don't need to. You can get around sufficiently uh, easily with uh, uh, um, other mass transit. And so to think that long story short, I did the exercise, if I remember correctly, I thought, you know, if just the populations of India and China were to go to the per capita oil consumption of like South Korea, I mean, you would have to take oil production up to something like 180 million barrels a day. I just don't see how that can be done. Um, and so I think that if we do get an energy crisis, obviously, there will be calls, you know, a lot of times the politicians will have had a great uh, responsibility of causing a lot of the of the energy crisis, which they won't accept. By the way, they'll blame speculators, they'll blame greedy oil companies, uh, but I think they may also use it as an opportunity for control. And they may say, you know, we cannot continue to live like this. We cannot uh, live our current lifestyle because it's indicated by these high energy prices. And I think you're starting to see some of that uh, discussion happen. So, what else does the article say? Everywhere, governments seek to ramp up the economic load, talking of, quote, unleashing our potential, unquote, and, quote, supercharging our economy, unquote. Boris Johnson insists that a global recovery from the pandemic must be rooted in green growth. But there is no such thing as green growth. Growth is wiping the green from the earth. We have no hope of emerging from this full spectrum crisis unless we dramatically reduce economic activity. Aha. So the pointy shoes uh, are going to reduce economic activity because we can't supply the energy, we can't supply the resources. We're destroying the earth. Remember this. This is now. I don't believe this, and I don't believe that it's accurate. Uh, but this is what a lot of people believe, and it's always people that want to control you that say things like this. Here's what else they say: Wealth must be distributed. A constrained world cannot afford the rich but it must also be reduced. Sustaining our life support systems means doing less of almost everything. So this is what I suggested probably they were heading. Uh, the uh, enlightened, the upper, the pointy shoes, the masters of the universe. Of course, they will exempt themselves. If you look at the, for example, recent emissions targets and rules that are coming out, uh, 
if you want to fly on a commercial aircraft and go on vacation to south of Spain or, or Cyprus or Greece or something, uh, they're going to put all these taxes on your airfare. But if you want to fly, if you have the means to fly on a private jet, you'll be exempted. You see how that works? You, you, you see how that works? Uh, rules for thee, but not for me. So I'll put in a link to this article. I think you should read it because I think this is going to be the next um, uh, thing that they're going to try, if you will. Okay, guys, I think that's it for this week. That's, that's it for this week. That's the last slide. Uh, appreciate the listening uh, public, appreciating the audience. It continues to grow. It's exploding. The channel is really taking off now. Um, I think we may have read it, reached a critical mass like in a you know chain reaction in a nuclear reactor. I hope we're putting out good content. We've been getting a lot of good um, comments in the comments section. I've been getting a lot of good emails. Uh, remember, though, that we're dealing with uh, speculative entities here. So we're, we're looking good now. But if you are a longtime listener, you know that we were we were starving for a while when the channel first started because th these type of companies were out of favor. So understand this isn't a one way street. OK, guys, that's it for this week. We'll talk to you next week. Thank you.